Welcome to the Sport Media and Tech Podcast. I'm Keel Blake. On this episode, Dr. Jeff Porter, Mark Hotchkin, and I spend time with Russell Mark from USA Swimming. We discuss performance coaching, including technology versus human analysis. Oh, wow. It's been a long journey, but it's been really unexpected and something I'm really fortunate and really happy about. I grew up swimming my entire life and went to school for engineering at University of Virginia, swam there and went into engineering, got really lucky. And um, after a year, about a year in in engineering, I scored an internship at USA Swimming. That one year internship turned into (laughs) almost 20 years now. Uh, It just, timing worked out really great for me to have a a more permanent opportunity. and, And going from this kid that really didn't have much of a business at the national team level to now being a real big part of it and um, or doing my best to, to help our best athletes. So Russell, you know, as we're looking in Tokyo, you have a background in aerospace engineering. So take me a little bit through how you use your background and what you're doing now. And so for the folks that don't know, don't know what you're doing, don't know what high performance is, at the uh, USOPC level, let's clue, let's clue them in. And then how did you, how do you use your background in that world? Yeah, you know, I would say with aerospace engineering, there's, um, you know, education in physics and fluid dynamics. So there is an actual real good translation to swimming and swimming mechanics. I do not have a traditional biomechanics background, but in understanding how the body can manipulate the water to create force to move forward, there's a really nice, um, real nice segue right there. I basically, I'm known for being this technique guy and being the biomechanics guy. Um, and so in essence, I do kind of engineer strokes. I can reverse engineer strokes and kind of understand why people move forward really well, why some of our best are doing what they do and deciphering what that code is and then trying to disseminate that to other people. So yeah, I will look at a stroke, reverse engineer, try to understand the pieces of it, the aspects that make it work and then the aspects that can apply to a lot of other people. Um, I love that problem solving. I love that kind of, um, you know, just breaking it down and then being able to translate it to a lot of people. So I work primarily with the national team, but I do a lot of education for the rest of our community and for the entire USA swimming community. You mentioned biomechanics and and how that's measured and everything. Um, I'm assuming the first step there is uh, when you talk about viewing uh, biomechanics and kind of uh, keeping an eye on how they're, how they're going, how do you measure that? Like, and how has that evolved in the, the time that you've been in the space? Gosh, you know, to be honest, when I first got here, I thought it was going to be all sorts of science experiments, all sorts of sensors on people's bodies. And when I first got here, that's what we were trying to do. And I think the technology was was really starting to move in that direction. But to be honest, right now, what we mostly do, it's a lot of subjective coaching. Um, it is just you know, we spent a lot of time, I I would love to be able to do it a little bit more real time, a little bit more scientifically with more metrics and data. And we do collect some data, but in terms of technique, it is so individual. And so I would say circumstance specific and 
what's what it, even our best athlete can do on a Monday might not be the same on Tuesday afternoon, depending on how they were trained in between. So in terms of replicating the technique uh, and just trying to measure it, it, there is some data involved, but for the most part, when I'm giving feedback and recommendations, it's mostly based off of coaching, like kind of subjective coaching and watching video and my best judgment, even though there, it is fueled by, kind of years of understanding what you know what the best data looks like and what that those strokes look like so i wish it were i do wish it were especially for a pod like this i wish it were more scientific and i wish i had more you know technology to tell you and say this is this is the magic juice that makes the technique happen but that's not exactly always the case so I, I gotta bring you back to that question, man. So what data do you actually use? Is it is it the recording above water, or are you able to get the technology below the water to be able to see the different strokes? Yeah. So most of our data, you know, in terms of video and technique, is just an underwater video feed. Uh, you know, I'm I'm using a GoPro. I'm using you know stuff readily available to people. Uh, could be your phone too, an iPad, something like that. So um, just I think portability, accessibility, usability are the most important things in terms of um, being able to use, utilize technology when you're talking about a lot of our best athletes and making real-time changes. Um, you know, when it comes to meets, we are measuring a little bit more and racing, we're, we are measuring a little bit more in terms of um, tempos. So, you know, kind of your cadence and then also stroke counts and understanding times to like right now, the uh, an Olympic length pool is 50 meters so we're collecting data to intermediate splits too so within the actual length as well so each length is like 30 seconds so a lot can happen in that time so just having more ways that we can break it down other than just the splits is the is the data we're using but that's more kind of in race execution and not so much in technique if someone an athlete were doing the breaststroke right what are you actually looking for in that motion yeah, breaststroke is really complicated. That's probably the least, I mean, most strokes you're looking for to move forward. So you're trying to push water backwards and breaststroke is probably the most indirect of that, mm -hmm. of, of, in terms of that yeah. concept. So in breaststroke, it's probably the hardest to really kind of grasp <laughs> why you move forward. Your yeah. kick is definitely pushing you pushing back and moving you forward, but your arms, not so much because the arms are moving in kind of a diamond shaped pattern. Yeah. I would say generally for those that aren't familiar with swimming, what yeah. I'm looking for in breaststroke is I'm looking for constant movement forward and not yeah. someone who gets to the top of their stroke when yeah. they're in the breath and yeah. stops. So I'm yeah. not, I'm not, I'm looking for less stop and go action and yeah. more just constant lunging forward and movement yeah. forward. So looking for that kind of quality in that movement. And it's interesting, I, like, obviously my eye is really trained to that. And I don't mm -hmm. know, I know I could see it really well. I yeah. don't know if most people <laughs> who will watch the Olympics this summer will be able to see that. Is it unique to people to their size or to their body shape or, or is it, is it a, a set, you know, that, that's, that, that's a, curi a curiosity I have when you share that. What do you look for there? Yeah, I mean, definitely longer limbs and being able to hold more water helps. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it's just more surface area that you can push water back. Um, I'm one that doesn't like to limit performance to body type and body shape. So 
I generally don't like, I wouldn't look at someone's body and say they can't do this ever. Um, I like thinking that the, the possibilities are, are, are there. And breaststroke is actually one where I would say size, body size and limb length probably matters the least. Um, and you know, we have it, you know, next week we have our Olympic trials. If you watch the breaststroke races, you'll see many different heights of athletes. And I love that. Mm-hmm. So take you back. I got, I got two, I'm going to two moments. I'm gonna take you back in time. One 2008 shark skin speed suits come online and they're breaking world records. USA swimming trials are breaking world records out of the semifinal, which track and field people our jaws hit the ground because there's no, there's no spike on earth that could help you run that fast to break world records in semifinals. Like that was absolutely the craziest thing I've ever seen. What technology did you see from those shark skin species that were propelling um, the athletes to those kinds of performances? And then I've got another question to you back a little bit further to, to your, your thoughts there, but shark skin I mean, species, <laughs> yay or nay? Yeah, those 2008, 2009, those years were crazy that just kind of took the sport to a whole nother level at a magnitude that we were never used to. And it was clearly an intervention of technology and an intervention of just a move, you know, kind of a progression, progression of the, of swimsuits. Um, What we were seeing is buoyancy. I mean, it was the material that was used. Um, It was a polyurethane for the most part. It was less, I would say breathable, less, um, you know, just, I think what was happening and one thing that you couldn't really measure is, and athletes would talk about because it was less porous, there was air bubbles that were being trapped between the suit and the body. And is basically allowing you to be more buoyant because you had air trapped in your suit and it wasn't going anywhere. The one thing that probably wasn't talked about as much was in order to get that reduction in time and to even put the suit on, people's fingers were bleeding putting the suits on because of how, how hard the suits were to move, how like, like unflexible the material was. And just to kind of peel it onto your suit or, and just like kind of inch by inch put it on your, your body was ridiculous. So it was it was an incredibly ridiculous time for the sport because we were seeing buoyancy and what that could do to change performance and set world records. And I don't, I think maybe one or two of those records still stand, but we have, you know, thankfully the sport kind of recognized that this was a technology change and technology impact and just in a level. And we want to advance as a sport, but to a level that was just a little bit off the charts and, um, you know, I think you need to find that balance of integrating technology, being respectful to the tradition, not just tradition, but respectful to the athletes and, and actually performance preparation. No, I, I love that. I remember hearing those stories about how hard a thing, the thing was to put on. And then I was like, well, if I had a spike that I was that hard to put on and I could run a world record, you know what? I, I might deal with that madness. But let me take it back in time again. 2008, Phelps versus Serbian counterpart. He touched the wall at the, at the, at the last possible split sec moment, which I, I watched that thing a thousand times. I don't know how the computers be able to check that out. What did you see? Like, what do you see in Phelps's technique and in his, in his, in his swimming ability that is just far over and surpassed anything that I think other athletes were able to, to replicate? 
Yeah. You know, Phelps' strength, I would say, and it's well documented, just like he was a machine in terms of training and recovery. And that's why he was able to go eight events. But in those eight events, you have, you know, prelim semis finals, like you have so many swims over those eight events. And um, just his ability to recover, his obviously mental fortitude to be able to go, you know, compartmentalize from race to race. Technically, you know, what I saw in him is like incredibly um, incredible range of motion in his shoulders and being strong at the edges of those range of motions. So while someone might be able to reach to a certain point above their head, he can reach beyond that and be strong at that like end of the range, the extreme range of it. And that's what we saw in his fly stroke. I think, um, you know, obviously, you know, someone with that kind of ability also, you know, just has a lot of gifts and, and I mean, Michael worked, that hard to be able to take advantage of all the gifts, which is, you know, the thing you want to see in sport is someone with that kind of talent and, and take full advantage of it. And Michael definitely did that from a training physiological, physiological standpoint, but, and also from a biomechanical standpoint too. Kind of on that same topic. I mean, I would imagine the difference between, I don't know, the best swimmer in the world and the 200th best swimmer in the world is very, very small, like as everything that's, you know, towards the top of, of a field, what do you look for to kind of take athletes, you know, cause there's a big difference in how many medals the 200th, the guy gets as opposed to the one, the first. So what are the kind of differentiators you look at in what you do to try to get people kind of over that, that hump? Yeah. You know, it's, I, I think, and it could be my finely tuned eye like that sees it, but you know, I definitely see a difference from, you know, our, you know, a couple of our best athletes like Katie Ledecky or Caleb Dressel. If you don't know these at these names, you will hopefully this summer and, you know, see a difference from them and what they do technically and how they move through the water. And even the eighth place person, let alone the 200 place person, there's a difference I would say in, you know, probably the most basic is their body position and hip position in the water, just seeing how high their hip is and how high it is to the surface. And if you can even see it or not, um, I would say there's definite technical advantages that every single one of these athletes utilize. Uh, you know, oftentimes it's how early they can grab a hold of water and push it back. Um, and, you know, when I watch a Katie or I watch a Caleb, there is no, like, it is very easy to explain why they are so good, whether it's, you know, like I mentioned for Michael, the range of motion, the technical, um, you know, kind of the superiority technically or, and, or training. And it's usually for the best ever like those it's, it's a combination of all of that. You know, as you're saying that Russell, there's just, um, so many examples, right, of, of major moments in history. Which one stands out the most to you where technique or something that you spotted was the difference maker? Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Put you on the spot. <laughs> um, you know, and I think it's top of mind because I, because I just mentioned her name, but, you know, Katie Ledecky is, has been great since she was 15 and winning that first gold medal in 2012 and kind of really surprising the world, but also our own team at that point. And then goes on to win more gold medals in 2016 and hopefully a few more this year. 
I do think when I look at her and, and watch her development, there has been, at first it was, you know, just kind of insane ability and training ability, but then it's turned into a technical mastery. And, you know, as she grows from 15 to now, you know, 28 years later, so 23, 24, you know, her body's changed, her strengths have changed, and she's had to grow these other areas of proficiency. And she is a technical master now, which I wouldn't say any 15 year old really is. And, um, but an understanding now, and that now when I look at Katie and watch her win, I, I know that there's, I attribute it so much to how much she's studying video and thinking about her stroke and her awareness and ability to make changes within a race. And, um, I think that is like, there's one example of just whatever success she's had and will continue to have definitely attribute to her being a great student of what she's doing. And, you know, you, you said it right there, Russell, and it's something that you mentioned earlier. So, you know, you, you came from aerospace, right? It's such a, such a transition. So, you know, I read a little something that you were sitting at a desk and, and just kind of going through the motions of what you were working on. And, 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 you know, you had a background in swimming and that, but when did you realize that your hard work had paid off? Because, you know, we talk to our students a lot about the time you have to put in before you can recognize the success. So what, what, what were the low points? And then what was that high, high point for you? Yeah, it takes years, I would say. And as I'm sure you guys know, to really kind of hone your craft and to, I think, and I see this now, I see it often is like you enter a field and there's a energy that you have, there's a naivety that you have about what you can do and how you can contribute. And I think it takes, you know, if I, so I started in 2002 and probably it wasn't until 2012 where I felt like, I truly had an impact in terms of having the technical knowledge, but then also having the relationships to be able to, for that, for those people to trust my technical knowledge and for them to see it move into play and move into action. And so I don't want to say it will always take a decade, but I would, I think you need to be persistent in that time. And I would say 2012 is where I really felt the reward and, um, you know, I didn't know that it would take that long. I didn't know what that feeling would look like or, or, or feel like. I think there were little, there's always little rewards on the way. Uh, low point, I mean, I just remember sitting in a room with like thousands of VHS tapes and thinking I need to, I somehow need to watch most of these and figure out what's on them. And that was like just a daunting task to have thousands of VHS tapes, which we would laugh at now because people don't even know what VHS tapes are for, you know, probably, but I, I think that was probably a low point in like, where is this taking me and why am I doing this? But then you put in the work and you put in the time and it pays off just like in athletics, like you do that in your career and it pays off. And I, I, no one ever likes, like the, the journey is not attractive or sexy or like something that makes people want to do this. Um, but that's the journey is a huge part of it. Unfortunately, fortunately. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Really well said. Um, 
kind of curious if we switch a little bit to the technology side and, and some of the advancements. Obviously, a lot of things you've talked about are, um, I don't want to say low, low tech, but maybe, um, you know, of watching and analyzing. Where has there been technolo technological advances to help you do what your job is? And, um, and where do you see that moving forward, kind of as with, if you look, looked out in the, the future a bit? Yeah, I, I would say the most, especially this year in kind of our COVID circumstances, I mean, it's just the the biggest advancement that has been the biggest help has just been in accessibility of, you know, communicating media. And, you know, I didn't see a live swimming stroke. I didn't see anybody swimming from March of 2020 until November of 2020. So for six months, I didn't see a live stroke, but people were sending me videos of them swimming and I was able to stay in touch with our athletes and our, and our national team and, and still give feedback. And it's amazing because if we were in this situation 10 years ago, it would have been really hard. People would have been mailing me, you know, CD-ROMs. And it just, <laughs> I just don't know how we would have been able to still progress as a sport from a performance standpoint. But now, you know, because of that, you know, we move into to the Olympics and I have some, I have a lot of confidence that our athletes have gotten better over this time because I've seen that progression. I've seen the work that they've continued to do. Um, where things, where I would like for technology to go that can still help, I would say it, it would be in a lot of our data capture and kind of um, computer vision in, in terms of understand, being able to collect metrics accurately from a race or from a practice and be able to turn that data around very quickly. And in swimming, we have an issue, I mean, unlike a lot of land-based sports, like, you know, it, computer vision, being able to recognize, like, obviously a, a hand entering in front of you and then reappearing behind you and disappearing under the surface of the water half, you know, for half the stroke. So to be able to recognize those movement patterns, um, I think is a challenge, but I know technology is moving that way and we're going to be able to solve this pretty soon, I'm sure. So. I want to follow up on that point. There are 45 days until we get to the opening ceremonies of the 20. I think they're 2020 happening in 2021. I think that's how the branding is going right now. So, you know, don't quote me on that. Um, have you seen a technology company with all the media partners, uh, with all the official IOC partners that are actually progressing towards this um, kind of data capture that we just talked about? Is it like uh, the Omega and their and their kind of sensors with the starting blocks? Is it any of our digital our digital partners? Like, what do you see any of those companies being able to use the Olympics as a um, as a test ground for some of their technology? Yeah, Omega is the timing company or timing partner for swimming as well as uh, I think track and field. So. Um, and they have been working on some stuff. They are partnering with USA Swimming too. So we're pretty well aware of what they're working on. And they have been doing, working on some, some ability to recognize and capture data visually. So um, that I know has been something in the works for a little while. And, and I'm hopeful that, you know, these guys do, I mean, they're, they're accurate, obviously, in what they do. And uh, we, I'm excited about that, that opportunity. I just haven't seen it. Like there's been no solution that I would say is like fully fleshed out and fully like flawless yet. And, uh, but that would be something that would absolutely help 
our sport progress. So, so what you're saying is for the students and the, and the young professionals that are listening, what you're saying is if that's a challenge and if they could come up with a way to solve that challenge, they could actually have a pretty good gig somewhere in that industry, especially with, especially with swimming. Yeah. Yes. Knowing that swimming is not a sport with a ton of money and that maybe the opportunity, the technology opportunity is there. I don't know if the financial opportunity is there. So, so Russell, you just shared a great idea for the students. But what else should the students know if they want to work within the swimming industry or Olympic sports? Yeah, you know, from a, I would say what I've seen, and since this is a technology kind of media pod, technology integration in sport is, at least in swimming, is really difficult. You know, the one technology, and this is what I get ideas pitched to me all the time on things that people are working on. And the thing that I always come back to is the one technology that has really lasted in swimming is a stopwatch. And that's it. We aren't that high tech. And I think that's the thing. It has to be more than just high tech. It has to be usable. It has to be convenient. It has to be something that fits into the workflow, the normal workflow of a coach and an athlete. And if you, if it can't be as simple as a stopwatch, we probably aren't going to be able to use it or people won't want to use it unless it's something that's incredibly amazing that then that might make someone move out of their way and kind of shift their workflow. But for the most part, I do think that understanding the environment that you're trying to work with and the convenience of it, that's the most important thing. And you know, the other part I would say is in using data and technology is that ultimately sport is about human performance and the human part being the real key to it is, you know, that it's, you know, there's a heartbeat to every result and every time. And, you know, and it's not something that you can necessarily come up with a general concept and say it applies to everybody. And that's kind of where, that was something I've had to learn all along the way is that what, what applies to Katie Ledecky might not apply even to our second best swimmer. And most oftentimes it doesn't. Or what, what works for Michael Phelps might not work for everybody else. And it usually didn't. So I think that's the, those are the things I would say are the lessons that I would uh, try to communicate and get across to, to you know, someone who's looking to work in the industry. One other kind of industry question um, that I think will be valuable for the, the students to hear, but talk a little bit about what a national governing body um, like USA Swimming does. Um, and I've, I worked at a conference office and uh, our, our company now has worked with a few uh, national governing bodies, but I think there's a lot of confusion about what they actually do day in, day out, the, the four years between the, the Olympics. Obviously, there's a lot that goes into it, but would love to hear a little bit more about um, what, the, what the organization does itself. Oh, yeah. I mean, our organization does a whole lot more than just Olympic performance. And if if anything, I think I'm a pretty small part of it. Um, You know, we're responsible for kind of the organization of, you know, competitive swimming all around the country. And I think that is that encompasses like helping local local clubs and teams uh, with their infrastructure and educating them on how to be a, a small business or in some cases, a much larger business. It's, um, so and it goes to coach education, it goes to putting on meets, um, 
it goes to setting the rules that govern a competition. And um, I, I mean, we, yeah, you name it, like we're doing a lot of things and performance is a pretty small part of it all. Uh, it's just the part that every four years, at least like people notice and everyone notices our marquee athletes, but there is so much that happens, obviously fundraising, um, you know, maintaining membership, uh, getting partners to sponsor the sport and sponsor specific things, uh, grassroots development. And so, you know, in, in moving towards the Olympics, I'm very aware of all these different things that happen and, and that makes the Olympics and our Olympians happen. Um, you know, a lot of, most of our Olympians have been USA swimming members since they were little kids. And so it's that kind of structure that we hope to provide to, you know, wherever you want to take your swimming career. And obviously for the vast majority of people, swimming is something that they love and not something necessarily that they, you know, become famous for and become rich for. And, um, and, and probably an expectation that is, uh, reasonable. So, you know what, uh, so Russ, th again, thank you for everything you shared so far. I mean, the, the, the comments, the conversation that we've had has been absolutely amazing. Uh, we typically like to wrap up with asking our guests, you know, if there's one thing you tell our students, a lot of their undergraduates and graduate students looking to get into the career field in a variety of different areas uh, within the sport business, whether it's sport media and tech, whether it's kind of the human performance side, whether it's digital side, the media side, et cetera, what advice would you give them as they're looking to start their careers and get a new job to land their first job or land that next job? What advice uh, can you offer those students? Yeah, and I would probably, I obviously can relate to my own journey and I did try to get into the industry right after, uh, immediately straight from school. I ended up at a huge engineering company and that path is one thing that worked for me. And I would say, just don't get discouraged. Um, that going to a non-sport company or non-media or non-technology company isn't a bad thing. I learned so much about how big businesses work and how they can succeed and how kind of work environments are and how you kind of work through work processes. I mean, USA Swimming is a, you know, under hundred employee company organization. And my engineering company had, you know, 200, 300, 400,000 people worldwide. And so to understand kind of work process and workflow, yeah, you can take something from all that. So I would say, don't be discouraged. You know, I, I would say, take your time and, and, and experience it. Any experience is good experience, um, in my opinion, and, and be able to take lessons from what you do and apply it moving forward. So um, just don't give up if, if it doesn't work out the first time, I think, Jobs in sport are so limited and so much of it has to do with timing and, and what opportunities are available and what fits for you. Join us next episode with co-founder and CEO of Team Genius, Chris Knutson, where we talk about athlete development tech.